1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, we'll be looking together at verses 12 to 21. The word of God reads, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Um, The title of this morning's message is The Church. The Church. One body, many members. The word church um, derives um, ultimately um, from the Greek word kurios, which of course means Lord, because the church consists of those who belong to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ, a redeemed people, a purchased possession, saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. So the Greek word ekklesia, from where we get ecclesiastical, is commonly translated as church, which means the called out ones, to be called from from out of the world. That is, those who hear the gospel, they agree with the truth of the gospel, the history of the gospel, and they believe by faith, entrusting themselves to Jesus Christ and his finished work. Now, uh, while many people attach themselves to, to the physical church, you know, places called church, buildings, um, many of those people do not truly believe. They do not truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they may hear the facts. They may even give intellectual assent to those facts. They perhaps believe, yeah, Jesus is the Christ. Makes perfect sense. Yet they don't believe, they don't trust in Christ alone for salvation. So consequently, um, a, a distinction is made between what is referred to as the visible and the invisible church. The invisible church 
is made up of those who are truly in Christ. Referred to as invisible because we cannot read the hearts of people. But all those who are God's by faith, they're the Lord's. He knows them intimately. He knows them perfectly. So uh, while the invisible church, the true church, exists largely within the visible church, the gathered church, the true church cannot be merely defined by the visible church. Does that make sense? Since the visible church is made up of those whose professions of faith are genuine, they stand alongside many times those who have an empty confession. In other words, nearly every church gathering will be home to both sheep and goats. The visible church, as Augustine taught, is always a mixture in this world, made up of both wheat and tares. And though tares are in the visible church, they have no place in the invisible church, the true church. Tares, according to Jesus, represent the world. Wheat represents those called from out of the world and into Christ. Now, some metaphors that are used in the Bible to describe the true church of Jesus Christ include the bride of Christ, the fullness of Christ, the household of God, the family of God, the temple of God, and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, our focus is on the metaphor that we just read about, and that is the body of Christ. Which means that the church is not an organization, but is a living organism. And within the body of Christ, just as in the human body, every member is important. Look at verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members... In all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. So the human body, Paul says, is composed of many different members, each with different functions. And when Paul says at the end of verse 12, notice, so also is Christ, okay, that is short for so it is in the body of Christ. It's another way of saying so it is with us who are Christians, Corinth. Why does he lay that out? Because again, there was great division within the church of Corinth. Now, let me remind you uh, that the church of Corinth was filled with Christians that were heavily influenced by their culture. It's the case with all of us, really, isn't it? some degree. That's what sanctification is all about, where the gospel begins to permeate all of our lives. 
And they, they, the Corinthians, were not allowing the gospel to shape their lives. They had brought into the church key elements of, of the pagan mystery customs of the day. You know, the frenzied hyper-emotionalism, um, the, the ecstasia, along with divination, you know, revelatory visions, all of this hyper-sensationalistic kind of, of practice that they, it was norm for them coming out of pagan temples. So they were an easily excited people, um, very naive, incredibly gullible, and, and Paul says, as, as we've studied over the course of the last year, that you're, you're puffed up. You're arrogant. You know, they loved worldly rhetoric. And Corinth, being a, a very wealthy society, uh, many of them were very pretentious. And as a result, they sought after the showier gifts. The showier gifts within the church. Now, Paul made it very clear that it's the Holy Spirit who distributes spiritual gifts. Therefore, don't try to acquire what God has sovereignly given. Look back at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. This is God's doing. However you're gifted... Whatever gifts you may have, this is all according to God's will. Okay, now remember, Paul is addressing um, a question the Corinthians had asked him um, in a letter they sent. If you look back at verse 1, um, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant, unaware. Now, based on Paul's answer, which runs from chapter 12 and verse 1 all the way to and through chapter 14 and verse 40, the original question had something to do with the role and practice of speaking in tongues. Now, since many of them did not receive the true gift of tongues, that is, real languages that you have no knowledge of, that's what tongues truly is, they came up with their own counterfeit version of tongues transferring once again their pagan past occult practices, that is, ecstatic utterances and gibberish, into the corporate worship of the church. The very thing we see carried on in Pentecostal and charismatic circles of our day, nonsensical babble. And just as a side note before we move on, when we get to chapter 14... Paul will make a distinction between the true gift of languages and the glossolalia that was going on in this day. That is ecstatic gibberish. Now, he will use the singular tongue in chapter 14 when he refers to gibberish, and he'll use the plural tongues with regard to languages, which was the real gift. We'll see that when we get there, because many of them had the attitude of, of, look at me. You know, listen to what I can do, and all it was was empty chatter. We see this going on today, as sad as it is. So straight out of the blocks, 
Paul sets the course, and that is the fact that the the greatest gift every single Christian receives at conversion is the gift of the Holy Spirit, not to speak in an unknown tongue, or tongues for that matter, but to speak from their tongue, believing in their heart, verse 3, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the fullness of divine blessing. That is the evidence of a spirit-filled life. Why is that? Verse 3b, look back. For no one can, that's a word of ability, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now what Paul means by that, he doesn't mean someone merely utters that word. A pagan can utter those words. But to say it and believe it, it is only by the Holy Spirit that one can do that. To believe in your heart, confess with your tongue, Jesus Christ is Lord, that is a gift that every single Christian has been given. So that is the unifying reality of God's people, which makes the church a plurality of living selves, all of whom have eternal life, and we now function on earth together as Christ's body. This is what Paul is after. A diversity of people who dwell in unity, not unlike a human body. And that's a metaphor that Paul uses, by the way, the human body, 16 times in this chapter. A unity in diversity, that, by the way, is revealed through the Trinity himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Look back verses 4 through 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Same Spirit, same Lord, same God. Holy Spirit, the Lord, that is Lord Jesus, and God, the Father. One in essence, one in nature, individual in personhood. As we said a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't the the Son who sent the Father, it was the Father who sent the Son. It was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I think I said 30 days then, it was 40, that's my mistake. I know it was 40, but 30 came out. Anyhow. So that diversity revealed through the Trinity is to be mirrored in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ according to distributed gifts of the Holy Spirit where every member is a minister. Every member is a minister of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So at this point, Paul addresses uh, the means by which We are incorporated into Christ's body, and that is, notice, baptism. And and now Paul moves, notice this, Paul moves backwards from unity and diversity of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ to the birth of that body. Okay, notice, verse 13. Now, remember, Paul's building an argument. He's talking about uh, um, disunity within the church. That's what he's addressing, 
And he says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Friends, he is not talking about water baptism here. This is spiritual baptism. This is the new birth. This is new life. And notice, it is for by one spirit or, or with one spirit. Who does the baptizing? Christ. He does the baptizing. So the focus of our unity is not baptism, but rather the one spirit by whom we are baptized. You were all baptized individually into one body. So by one or with one spirit, and this is contrary again to what the Charismatics and Pentecostals teach because it's not of the spirit, as they will say. You know, they'll ask, you know, hey, have you been baptized of the spirit? You ever heard that? Have you been baptized of the spirit? So what that means to them is that in, in modern charismatic services, you know, where, where they fuel superstition and, and the power of influence, suddenly what they call baptism of the spirit, which is an incorrect translation, um, this presumed baptism of the spirit is validated by some dramatic spectacle when someone is, as they say, slain in the spirit, accompanying with speaking gibberish. That's what they mean by, have you been baptized of the Spirit? Paul says, look, this is by one Spirit, or also translated with one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. That's Paul's teaching on this. D.A. Carson renders it, we were all drenched, we were all flooded in one Spirit. In other words, it's, it's one source of life. David Garland, he says, and I quote, the point is that the spirit saturates the church body and that all Christians are imbued with the same spirit. It occurs at their conversion when they confess Jesus is Lord and are placed by the spirit in Christ's body in which they become interdependent limbs and organs. End of quote. In other words, there is no second-class Christians in the church of Jesus Christ. We are all baptized into Christ who does the baptizing. Notice, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all are made to drink of one spirit. That is, you're born of the spirit, filled with the spirit. Okay, that is, friends, regeneration, justification, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are all metals that make up the same coin. What's the coin? Salvation. Salvation. So while we still retain our identities, whether you're Jew or Greek or male or female or slave or free, they lose their significance in light of our ultimate identity, which is Jesus Christ. We are all in Christ. So if I'm united to Christ, 
and you're, you're, you are united to Christ, that means I'm united to you and you to me. For we are one body. So therefore, it is not only when a member exercises his or her gift that we participate in that gift. When that gift is, is used within the body of Christ, it's not merely that body part that receives the blessing, but the rest of the body receives edification through the exercise of that gift. The guys who were just up, and gal. We were just blessed as they used their gifts. We were edified together, amen? Even though we can't be together today. So disunity here is what characterized the church of Corinth. So Paul draws this beautiful picture, and then he gets a little, well, a lot actually funny as he works his way through this, which we'll look at um, as we move through this this morning. But, uh, you know, disunity is what characterized these people, the church in in Corinth. And the product um, of that disunity was self-centeredness, conceit, arrogance, just one of the many problems that Paul had to deal with with the church of Corinth. Now, since the church is analogous to the human body, verse 12, the church of Corinth is crippled. Okay, again, if, if the church body, if the church of Jesus Christ is analogous to the human body, this church was crippled. It's more like body parts scattered all over the place. Now, I don't know if you remember this, going back a year or so, but in the introduction I provided on the culture of Corinth, um, I think we know well by now that, that pagan culture was very superstitious. Corinth was filled with pagan temples. And within the city of Corinth, in one of these temples, there, what, there, there was what was called the um, um, Asclepius Room. Asclepius. In Greek mythology, Asclepius was a pagan um, um, god of medicine. And, and people would come to this temple and they'd, they'd enter into this room having made a, a plaster mold of what every, whatever body part it was they wanted this pagan god um, to heal. They wanted Asclepius to, to do his magic, so they would make a plaster mold of, of, of you know, feet, hands, and a, a number of unmentionables, by the way. They would bring it to this temple, and they would leave it here, and they would pray that this false deity, Asclepius, would, would, would heal it. And sometimes they would heal it, thinking themselves to perhaps have been healed. Perhaps they had some cramp or ailment, and it goes away. And they would leave that body part in that room as they kind of thank you. Now, to get a picture of this, I have a couple photos from uh, the Corinthian Museum we'll put up for you. Um, This photo here is from um, Old Greek Corinth, um, 4th century B.C. You'll notice that there's a lot of feet um, in the next slide, there's a lot of feet and in, in, um, legs and so on. I mean, in this day, you walked everywhere. So you would often injure your leg or, or your, your foot, your toe, or so on. So you would leave it here. And here, this may be 
It may be against this cultural background that Paul would have seen this Corinthian situation. Okay? Could be. Just an idea. This is an idea I had, so I researched some scholars, and, and I found one who agreed with me. <laughs> so anyway, there you have it. So notice now verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less part of the body. Now, uh, apparently, the, the disputes among the Corinthians over spiritual gifts left a number of those with you know, less sensational gifts or more mundane spiritual gifts it left them feeling inferior you know, compared to those with the more sensationalistic, you know, visible gifts, whether they were real or pretend. So you have this inferiority complex, I suppose, that was going on within the church. There are some concluding, you know, I'm just not part of the church. And this is what happens, by the way, when spiritual gifts are applied using pagan categories of evaluation ridiculous so paul gives this funny um, illustration of body parts saying that they don't want to be in the physical body anymore that's that's, that's the argument you know you, you you may deny being a member of the body of jesus christ but that does not change reality friends amen four of you <laughs> so when a believer did denies this fundamental truth, they're denying reality. It's like denying that you're a member of the human race. Well, I'm just not part of the human race. Or denying your gender, the gender you were born with. Reality is you're either male or female. You can attach stuff to your body. You're either male or female until the day you die, period. You're denying reality. So you can deny reality, but reality does not change. That's Paul's argument. So now, uh, Paul shows how beautiful and how powerful diversity is within the church because of unity, using, by the way, a ridiculous illustration to make his point. So after stating the principle in verse 14, notice, for the body is not one member but many. He goes on and he gives a hypothetical. Notice, a conditional clause. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Okay, now think about this. The hand, think about the hand, perhaps more visible in its activity. You know, it can reach, you know, it, it can grab, it can touch, you know, it feeds the mouth. It's very visible. Everyone sees the hand and, you know, says, hooray hand. Wow. The foot says, here I am. I'm stuck in a dirty old sandal. We walk through these dusty roads, picking up dirt. Or in our day, I'm shoved in a, a sock 
and into a shoe, and nobody sees me. <laughs> Everybody sees the hand. All the gestures the hand can provide. The foot is unseen. And then the foot says, they, all they do is stand on me all day. I've got blisters. <laughs> I've got bunions. And this cracked heel is driving me crazy. I've got aches and pains, and I get no attention. Notice, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Actually, the NIV puts it like this, which is better, I think. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. In other words, Paul says that's a ridiculous way of thinking. You don't stop being part of the body just because you're sniveling about being that part of the body. That's what he's saying. You're still part of the body. And notice, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. I doubt that anyone has ever stopped you to say, wow, you have incredible ears. Wow, your lobes are perfect. Cartilage is perfect. Just right. Anybody? No, but they might stop you and say, other than Raphael, apparently. They might stop you and say, wow, you have stunning eyes. Beautiful almond eyes or gorgeous baby blues. Or, you know, I notice you wear green shirts all the time to, to bring out the color in your eyes. <laughs> We laugh. Some people think like this. Some Christians think like this. And they complain, I'm not part of the body. I'm not appreciated. I'm not useful because I'm not an eye. Paul says a foot is a foot and an ear is an ear, all of which are parts of the body. You know, Martin Luther, talking about this whole matter, he said this, quote, okay, listen to this. See what the whole body does when a foot is trodden on or a finger is pinched, how the eye looks down, the nose draws up, the mouth cries out, and all the members are ready to rescue and to help, and none can leave the other. So that it means that not the foot or the finger is trodden on and is pinched, but the entire body. End of quote. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? This wouldn't be a body, it'd be a monstrosity. It would make a nice... 1950s horror movie, 150-pound eye moving through town, looking into your window. <laughs> ah, that'd be gross. All the eye can do is see. That's all it could do. Now, Paul is likely drawing these analogies because of the elitism 
within the church of Corinth, but, but not merely the elitism that was going on. Also, I'm sure he's addressing that old green-eyed monster. Envy. Here, gift envy. Gift envy. And this happens in the church. This happens in the church when someone isn't being recognized or appreciated in the way they think they ought to be. Seeing others getting more of the spotlight, and they want some of that spotlight for themselves. That's how it plays out in the modern church today. They, they desire, although they'd never admit it, a certain platform within the church. They, they want affirmation. They, they want applause. You know, I need, they may think, um, a, a leading part in the play. A more prominent place. A, a, a larger stage with brighter lights on me because I'm not content being afoot. Now, remember, the Corinthians had aligned themselves with their favorite preacher. I am of Apollos, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, and so on. Remember that back in chapter 1. Can you imagine aligning yourself? Think about Apollos, a mighty, powerful preacher, a polished orator, and whenever the camera's on him, all of a sudden you see another stick their head in. Wanting to identify with Apollos. That being said, the envious heart is never satisfied. Never. They're never satisfied with, with, with what God has given him or her. So they're, they're never happy with their gift. They're never happy with their station in life. They're never happy with their part within the church because they want to be noticed. They want to be affirmed. That's their goal. They want to be affirmed. You know, affirmation is what makes the Facebook world function, right? Take away all the likes and all the applause. Facebook disappears. Amen? There'd be no use for it. Because this is how the fallen human race naturally works. But this has no part in the church. Gift envy. No part. So this is what was going on in Corinth. And to this day, when a person is not being recognized as they want, they may become sour, sullen. They may sulk. They may become pouty within the church. So what do they do? They begin to keep a record of wrongs. They begin to gossip. They begin to slander. And they try to enlist others to join their cause. You know, over the past 14 years, there have been those who have attended this church, Pacific Hope Church, who have been some of the most wicked people I've ever known, period. Now, they're long gone, but the root, at the root of their wickedness was, was envy. The green-eyed monster. And the problem is that, again, that the, the envious heart can never be satisfied. 
Because joy comes through humble obedience. That's where you find joy, in humble obedience. Otherwise, if, if it's not humble obedience, they'll conclude, um, I will not be overlooked, and if it doesn't work here, I'll leave this church. I'll try it elsewhere. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This was a a delightful passage to study, by the way, and to prepare for, because I was incredibly encouraged by 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 the spiritual health of this church today. So thank you all for not being a greed-eyed monster (laughs) running around and hiding in closets and peeking through and all that. All that causes is a mess. Notice verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Sovereign God, who, who has called you, Sovereign God who's baptized you in Christ. He's given you his spirit. He has given you your giftings. Has also placed you in this body to function for his glory or your glory. Thank you. His glory. And you say, but I want to be an I. Verse 19. If they were all one member, where would the body be? Again, it is diversity in the body that is unified that makes the body the body. Verse 20. But now there are many members, but one body. And and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, remember, earlier it was the foot to the hand. Now, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. You see what he does here? The head, right, the important one, to the foot, I have no need of you. No, the head needs the foot. I heard, I don't remember who said this. I don't remember why I read this years ago. After some preacher somewhere got done preaching, someone, one of the elders, got up and said to the pastor, boy, your big toe sure did do a good job up there today. So what are you talking about? Your big toe holding you up behind the pulpit as you preached. Get the picture? Why aren't any of you laughing? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The big toe did its job keeping the man standing up to preach the word of God from his mouth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. So, so just as sure as no member of the body, okay, this is where Paul, this is where we've been thus far, just as sure as no member of the body can legitimately say, since I'm, the, I'm not that, whatever that is, I'm not a member of the body, so too no member of the body can legitimately say to another member of the body, I don't need you. It's impossible because the body is composed of parts that make the body function as it ought. So we need every part. 
of our body. So it's contrary to the body of Christ to look at another, to look at another and say, uh, we, re- don't, we don't really need them. Paul says to think like that, you really don't have a clue as to what you need. Think about it. In Pacific Hope Church, what do we have? We have young people. We have older people. We have married people. We have single people. We have mentally and physically challenged people. The very parts that seem weaker, verse 22, Paul will go on to say, we'll catch this next week, are indispensable. They're necessary. Every part, because that is what makes the body the body, diversity in unity. The church of Jesus Christ. So Paul destroys any idea of elitism that, that was rampant in the church of Corinth. He exposes their blindness as to how the body truly functions in a healthy way. I was thinking this week about the megachurch, typical megachurch in America, and consider the precarious situation there. Large megachurch that is built around the personality or celebrity of their pastor. When that pastor dies or moves on to other things, the church crumbles because it was not functioning as a body. It was built around a a man. It's very dangerous. This is Paul the Apostle. Who never boasted in his apostleship. He was a humble servant. What are we but servants of Christ, servants of the living God? So Paul, also in this, rebukes any idea of um, rugged individualism within the church, isolationism within the church of Jesus Christ. I I don't need the church. I have my Bible. Um, I I don't need to attend church. I don't need to be around God's people. Um, I I can watch things online or I can listen to teachings online, and that view is all too common in our day. What many of you are doing right now at home, this morning, you don't want to be doing, we would rather be here. Amen? In the front? Back? At home? Amen. You would rather be here. But there are some, perhaps, watching that prefer this. And let me remind you, if you prefer this, newsflash, an unchurched Christian who's not part of this regularly when we're able is an oxymoron. So if that's you, I say, in the comfort of your home and your pajamas and your, your coffee, if that's you and you think like that and not like this, I say with love, repent of that and come to church, whether it's this one or another one, and be part of the body as you ought to be, because you are 
part of the body. Proverbs 18.1, it's clear. It is the foolish man that separates himself and rages against all sound wisdom. It's the fool. He thinks he's the smartest one in the room because he's the only one in the room. But the proverb says he's a fool. To think I don't need the body is to say I don't need what God says I need. Dangerous. So this unity, friends, this togetherness, this is not some forced, superficial, or you know, campfire, kumbaya, temporal sort of unity. Notice, this is true unity formed. It's formed when we're called from out of the world. We're baptized into Christ's body. Each one of us has been purchased by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Each one of us is clothed with the righteous robes of Christ through the gift of faith. This is what we share. And each one of us has been given gifts, a gift or gifts, from the Holy Spirit to strengthen the body. Your gifts are not for you, they're for others. So Paul says, don't complain about what you are or what you have, just exercise it. For the sake of the body, the sake of the whole. Isn't it great? So as the body of Christ who are currently unable to gather, let us, beloved, Pacific Hope Church, let us rejoice in the fact that Jesus has called us to faith. Let us rejoice in the fact that we've been baptized into Christ, by Christ. That we have the Holy Spirit, we're covered with his perfect righteousness, we're given gifts of the Spirit, let us rejoice, they're given for the common good, let us remember that, he's made us one body, many members. After after all, what do you have that you have not received? Amen? Amen? There are lots of gifted people in the world, lots of people gifted in the church, many who who are known and celebrated for their gifts, and those within the Christian church, we thank God for them. But there are many fewer, many fewer within the church who are known for their humility, love, and quiet service. So may we, beloved, be content where God has placed us and how he has placed us with the gifts he has given to us. May we serve in that place. May we not neglect what we have, but enjoy it, serve one another with it, and enjoy God's blessings as we continue to serve together um, when we're able to be joined together once again. Amen? I thought that this text was perfect for this time as a time that we can't be together to bolster within us our faith and thankfulness for Christ and what he's done as well as thanks for one another. Amen? And I want to thank all of you for doing um, just that. So a quick application to wrap up since we can't be together Um, This is a time we can be um, extra intentional with the gifts that we do have, um, calling one another, 
sending cards to one another, texting one another, um, um, you know, pick up your membership guide, go through a page or a half a page a day, pray for one another. That's a, an applicable way that, that we can function as uh, we are apart for this season. Amen? I don't know what I would do with the majority of you all who are here. I remember the day, and I told you this story, when I was given the keys to unlock what was my office door down on Marina Boulevard, and I prayed, Lord, if you don't send someone to deal with the business side of ministry and all that, this, this thing is going to fail. And then the Lord showed me, showed me how much I need Mark Schroeder <laughs> and a number of you all in all that you do. So may we rejoice in the Lord um, um, pray for the Lord to show us how we, we might exercise our gifts for his glory and the good of one another. And may God bless you this day and this week. Fret not, this will pass. Pray that God will protect his people. And um, as people suffer through this, those in the world, our neighbors, our friends, and so on, may we encourage, pray for them, and um, encourage them along the way. Amen? Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you for... Um, the fact that we are part of this glorious body of which you are the head, um, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, grant us grace to continue on by the power of your Holy Spirit for the good of one another and the glory of your name. These things we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.